Turning your Bibles to Luke chapter 1, we're going to begin really a two-part study this week and next week. We'll stop our, stop our study of Daniel until after the new year. It's that time of the year now when we think about the birth of Jesus Christ. For most of us, this time, this time of year holds some, some precious memories, uh, family and friends and activities. It's a time that we remember Jesus Christ, his birth, who he is, what he did. This morning, I'm starting really just a quick two-part study centered around the birth of Christ. And what we're going to do is this. We're going to look at before and after the birth. We look at four people before the birth of Christ and four people after the birth of Christ. And we'll see it. It's a famous passage. In fact, everything we look at, we've seen so many times. We'll see about the birth of Christ and how it affected these people. There's a lot in these passages that we know, that we take for granted, that sometimes we, we know them so well, we read them and we say, oh, that's the Christmas story, I know that. I hope we have maybe a little fresh look as we think about it from a little different view, the four before and the four after, and we want to see about the birth of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Well, it's, that, it's, it, it's nearing that time of the year. I have great memories of Christmas. I know the, the truth is this, some, for some and for many, there's some sad times at Christmas because there's some loved ones that may have passed away around Christmas time, or there's just the fact that we think about some of our loved ones who aren't here to celebrate Christmas with us. Uh, Christmas has always had good memories for me. My my dad died when I was uh, between 20, right, I think 26. I sometimes can't remember whether I was 25 or 26 when he passed away. But I can do remember this. I remember that every Christmas, at least up to then, he uh, he would put on a red vest. And, of course, every year he got where he couldn't button the vest. But uh, he would hand out presents. That was his deal, and that was so fun. I also remember my first Christmas after I trusted Christ. I'd never gone to, never gone to church or anything, and then I trusted Christ when I was off at college, and I started studying the Bible. And I remember the, Christmas, the first Christmas I realized that the wise men weren't at the birth of Christ. And I came home telling people, I said, hey, you know, these manger scenes, they're wrong, you know. They're wrong, you know. I mean, here, there's Jesus and, and the, the thesis wise men. I picked them up and I remember moving them away. And Mama said, what are you doing? I said, they're not, they weren't there. You know, I, you know, I was learning some stuff, you know, and so I was all excited. There's a problem sometimes with the season, though, because we go so fast. I read something of a guy by the name of Christopher Smith, his wife. He's a pastor and his wife said this. She said, there are so many presents under the tree, there's no room for Jesus. And sometimes we think about that. Uh, there's just so much going on. I found this, what they call a modern parable. And let me just read it to you because you know it, except it's a little bit different. Here's what it goes like. And they were in that same country, children keeping watch over their stockings by their fireplace. And Santa Claus came upon them, and they were afraid. And Santa said to them, don't be afraid. I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all the people who can afford them. There will be unto you a great feast of turkey and dressing and cake, and there will be many presents. This will be a sign to you. You will find the presents under a tree adorned with tinsel, colored balls, and lights. And suddenly, there was a multitude of relatives and friends saying, Thank you so much. This is what I wanted. And it should come to pass that they'll finally go home, and you'll have many days to clean up this mess. In America, most people focus on the material part of Christmas and miss Jesus. What is the reason for Christmas? Well, you know, it's the birth of Jesus Christ. It's the birth of our Savior. It's the gift that God gave when he gave his son Jesus to come to the earth so that he could be born, so that he could live, so that he could die for us. It's the gift of his son. Do you remember the first time you understood what Christmas was all about? 
when you understood that it wasn't just about presents, which is, there's nothing wrong with getting presents, there, because at Christmas, we got the greatest present of all. God gave his son. But when you first put together that Christmas is about God becoming a person so that he could die for us and take care of our sins and give us eternal life. Wow. So what we're going to do for the next couple of weeks, we're going to look at four before the birth and four after the birth. And what we're going to do is divide it this way. We're going to see two couples. We're going to see Zacharias and Elizabeth. They're an older couple. And we're going to look at Mary and Joseph. And they're a younger couple. And we're going to look at them this morning. This is the four before the birth. And when we look at uh, Zacharias and Elizabeth, we're going to do two things. We're going to look at God's message to them. What was his message? And their response. And then we're going to look at Mary and Joseph. And we're going to look at three things with them. We're going to see God's message to them their response, but we're going to see that there's a cost involved there. And we'll look at it. As we start, I want to read something to you. A guy by the name of Sherwood Word, he wrote an article in Decision Magazine, and he wrote about what the first Christmas, what the culture was like. And here's what he says. He says, the people at that time were heavily taxed. There was world domination by a cruel and powerful nation of ungodly men. There was corruption at the upper levels of society. Interest rates were rising. Racial tensions were at the breaking point. In such a time, a child was born to a young couple who had just signed up for a fresh round of taxes. The child would be called Emmanuel, God with us. Well, let's look first at the older couple. It's Zacharias and Elizabeth. So in Luke chapter 1, just if you would, you'd be at about verse 5 is where we're going to start. We're going to get this background of this couple So look at Luke chapter 1, verse 5. It says, In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. So we meet this couple, Zacharias and Elizabeth. Now, the first thing you find out, this is in the days of Herod the king. Uh, Herod was, was uh, what we call the Herod family. He had all kind of sons and daughters and people that went on and on. And he, he was a powerful ruler, probably the mo- one of the most powerful rulers of all. He had been appointed the king of that part of the world. He called himself King Herod. He had that part of the world because the Romans put him in that position because of his power. He was a very evil man, a very powerful man, a very smart man. He built all kind of things, but he was an evil man. He's the king of this time of what they call Judea. And at that time, there was a priest named Zacharias, and it says of the division of Abijah. When King David was the king, he took the priesthood, and he divided it into 24 divisions. So if you were a priest, if you were a tribal Levi, you were a descendant of Aaron, you were a priest, you were one of the 24 divisions, and you served twice a year. And so your division would come, one of the 24, and you would come in, you would serve for a week, and then you'd go back home. And then another division would come. Well, he's of the division of Abijah. And we'll see more about what that means in just a second. He had a wife from the daughters of Aaron. She was also a descendant of Aaron, so she was from the tribe of Levi as well. Her name was Elizabeth. Now, it gives us a little information about this older couple. They were both righteous in the sight of God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and the requirements of the Lord. When the Bible calls somebody righteous, it means they were a believer because righteousness comes by faith. To be righteous in the sight of God is one who has believed, and and for them, they had believed in the coming Messiah. They understood that there was a Savior coming, and they were believing that the Messiah would save them. And so they were believers. But notice about them. It's a little bit sad. 
But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and they were both advanced in years. Now, in that day and time, if you were a woman and you didn't have children, you, it was a sort of a sad thing. People say, oh, we're so sad. And now they're older and they don't have any children. In fact, it says they're advanced in age. And so we're going to find out that they had been praying for a child. In fact, probably for years they had been praying for a child. So look what happens. Verse 8. Now it happened that while he was performing his priestly service before God in the appointed order of his division, it was his time, it was his week to go into Jerusalem because they lived usually outside Jerusalem. When time came, they would come into the, to the city and they would go to the temple and they spent the entire week at the temple. Sometimes there were rooms that they actually slept at the temple and so that was their job and he had a job to do as the priest. But notice, look what happened, something really special. According to the custom of the priestly office, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. Now, most of the priests, their job was the sacrifices, and they would stand out front, and people would come in, and they would take the animals and offer them. But every day, somebody had to go into the front room of the temple, and on one side was a lampstand, on the other side was a table of bread, and in the middle was this altar of incense. Their job was to go in there, make sure the candles were burning, and to make sure the incense was burning. That was his job. Now, it was so special that they cast lots to get to see who did it. And usually, if you, if you ever got to do it, you only probably did it once in your whole life. And so, here is Zacharias, and it throws, and they say, Guess what, Zacharias? You get to do the incense. And he went, you're kidding me. I've waited all my life for this. this. This is my big day. I get to go into the holy place and light and do the incense. So here's what it says. According to the custom of the priestly office, he was chosen by Lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of people were outside in prayer outside at the hour of the incense offering. Two different times a day. Nine o'clock in the morning, three o'clock in the afternoon. Morning offering, evening offering. It didn't tell us which one this is. But it's at either 9 in the morning or 3 in the afternoon. He goes in there to light the incense. And all the people are out there at the time of the offering. And they're all worshiping God. He goes into the room. Now, he's supposed to go in, check the candle, make sure this is burning, come back out. We're going to find out that he didn't come right back out. Here's what happened. Notice verse 11. An angel of the Lord appeared to him. Standing to the right of the altar of incense. So when he comes in there and he's about to go over there, he looks up and he goes, there's an angel. And angels are very powerful beings. Every time in the scripture that an angel appears to a person, they always have to say, fear not, because they're afraid. And so, Zacharias was troubled when he saw the angel and fear gripped him. Now, we said we're going to look at the message. What is the message, God's message to Zacharias? Well, he starts off and he says, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your petition has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall give him the name John. So here's the message. Quit being afraid. Your prayer's been answered. You're going to have a son named John. What have they prayed for for years and years? A child, and now this angel, and by the way, it's going to be, it's Gabriel, and the Gabriel says to him, you don't have to be afraid. Your prayers have been answered. You're going to have a son, and you're going to name him John. You're going to name him John. 
Now, he then goes on to tell him about this son, what this son will be, what this son will be. Look, look what it says in verse 15. He will be great in the sight of the Lord, and he will drink no wine or liquor, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit while in his mother's womb. Now, what that means, it says he's going to be great in the sight of the Lord and drink no wine or liquor. Liquor, there was a thing called a Nazarite, not Nazarene. Nazarene was somebody from Nazareth. A Nazarite was a vow that people took. And you could take it any time. You would say, I'm going to take a Nazarite vow. And it could be for a month. It could be for a year. It could be for any length of time. Samson was a Nazarite his whole life. They actually shaved their head. And then their hair grew. And they did not cut their hair the whole time they had that vow. This says, this little boy, this one going to be born, is going to be a Nazarite from the womb. Like Samson and Samuel were. They were both Nazarites as well. And then he says, what will he do? Watch what he's going to do. Verse 16. He will turn many of the sons of Israel back to the Lord. He's going to turn the nation back to God. Zacharias, your boy is going to grow up. He's going to have long hair and going to look funny because he's going to be a Nazarite. And he's going to turn the nation back to God. But that's not all. There's something else he's going to do. He's going to go before the Messiah, verse 17. It is he who will go as the forerunner before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children and to the disobedient to the attitude of righteousness so as to make a people prepared for the Lord. Your son will go before the Messiah and prepare the nation for the Savior of the world. Can you imagine? You're Zacharias, and you're hearing from an angel. Your, your prayers have been answered. You're going to have a little boy. When he grows up, he's a Nazarite. He's going to turn the nation back to God, and he's going to be the forerunner of the Messiah. Well, he, if he knew the Bible, which he did, he would just think back to the book of Isaiah, which talked about a voice crying in the wilderness, make the way ready for the Lord. He's saying, that's my son. Wow, what a message. You've got to have a son, he's going to go before the Messiah. How was Zechariah? How did he respond? Well, I want to show you something. He first, he didn't believe. Look what he says. Zechariah said to the angel, verse 18, How will I know for certain? How will I know this for certain? I'm an old man and my wife is advancing years. He said, how, this is, I don't think this is possible. I'm too old. And look what the angel says. Verse 19, Angel answered and said to him, I'm Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God. And I have been sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you shall be silent and unable to speak until the day when these things take place. Why? Because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their proper time. Now the angel Gabriel said, okay, listen, you don't know who I am. I'm, I'm Gabriel. I'm the messenger angel. I stand in the presence of God. And I'm going to tell you what, from this point on, until the baby's born, you won't be able to talk because you didn't believe the message. You can see Zacharias going, I, I do believe, I do believe. No, it's too late. Well, he does. The second thing, he did believe. How do we know he believed? Well, here's what happened. He went out and he told his wife Elizabeth, we can't tell it necessarily from this one passage, but he goes to tell Elizabeth that she's going to have a baby. And they're going to name him John. That's the thing. And we see that not only does that happen, but when the baby is born, he says and stands out and, and announces that this child, I want to read this to you. This is what he says when John, we call him John the Baptist, when he's born, here's what he says. Zechariah says, And you, my child, 
you will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his way, to give his people the knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of their sins. That's what he said the day the little boy was born. So Zacharias believes, but it's too late. By the way, it says in one of the places, uh, it says the people were waiting for Zacharias and they were wondering at the delay. Because people were saying, where is he? What happened to him? Some people thought, you don't think he died in there, did you? I mean, because there was a possibility. Sometimes people went in there and they thought they might die. In fact, if a priest went into the back room and he wasn't supposed to, he would die. So they begin to wonder. And suddenly, Zacharias comes out. And everybody goes, what are you doing? What are you doing? And he can't talk. And so he went home. When his, when his time was up, he went home. And he probably had to go home, and, and they had what they call write, ways to write in those days. And it, usually they did a little uh, tablet with uh, wax on it, and they could write. He wrote down to her and said, you're going to have a child. His name is John. He is the forerunner of the Messiah. Wow. What's the message? So in his forerunner of the Messiah, his response, at first he doubted, then he believed. He told his wife and the Messiah, the, and others, that the Messiah is coming. Well, let's quickly look at Elizabeth. This is his wife. What's the message to her? It's the same message, same as her husband's, that she's going to have a son. His name's going to be John, who would go before the Lord. That's her message. What's her response? You know what? She believed. How do we know believe? Because she realized she was pregnant from God. Look at Luke 1, verse 24. After these days, Elizabeth's wife became pregnant, and she kept herself in seclusion for five months, saying, this is the way the Lord has dealt with me in these days when he looked with favor upon me to take away my disgrace among men. She says, God is so gracious to me. Even in my old age, I'm going to have a baby. And she believed his name was going to be John because the day that he was born, the day that they named him, Zacharias still can't talk. And so Elizabeth is there, and everybody comes up and says, okay, we're going to name the baby Zacharias after his father. And Elizabeth said, no, 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 his name is John. And then they looked over at Zacharias and said, what's his name? And he said, and he wrote, his name is John. And when he said his name was John, then Zacharias could talk. And so she believed the message that she was going to have this baby, and the baby would be called John. And so she had a message Son would go before the Lord. She believed that he was from God, and she told others. Now, that's the older couple. And they're not quite as famous. They're, they're the mother and the daddy of John the Baptist. By the way, John the Baptist was the forerunner of the Messiah. That's what we know. John the Baptist is six months older than Jesus. Okay? And so that, they are connected in that way. Now, let's see the next couple. This is the young couple. This is Mary and Joseph. And they're going to get a message from God. We're going to see the response, but we're going to see there's a cost involved. So let's see what happens. Let's start with Mary. And we're at chapter 1, uh, and, and look what happens. Verse 26. Now, in the sixth month, six months of what? You ever thought about that? I, I, n- I never even thought about it. When I was, after I trusted Christ, and everybody would read the Christmas story, and I would read the Christmas story. Now, in the sixth month, sixth month of what? Six month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. Because it just talks about her. It says that in verse 24, she kept herself in seclusion for five months. Then verse 26 says, now in the sixth month, the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, the angel Gabriel, same guy, was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth. 
to a virgin in case to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. So there's this young girl. And let me tell you, we don't know how old she was. She could have been as young as 14 years old. She could have been as old as 18 to 20. Usually in that day and time, many times girls were married at 15, 14, 15, 16, 17. So she could be very young. We just don't know. She's young. And in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. Now the emphasis, if you notice in verse 27, is that she is a virgin. And that's on purpose. Because if you're going to bring the Son of God into the world, you, cannot, you, 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 you can't be impregnated by a, a human being, a man. It's got to be something special, something different than that. So here she is, and she's the descendants of David herself. And the angel comes, notice. And he came in and said to her, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with her. She, with you. She was all worried about that. So the angel says to her, the angel said to her in verse 30, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You know what the word favor is? It's the word grace. You found grace with God. The grace of God. How does God deal with us? You ever thought about that? Every one of us, all day long, every day, he deals with us in grace. So look what the message. What is the message to Mary? You're going to have a son, verse 31. And he said, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and you'll bear a son and you'll name him Jesus. By the way, the name Jesus and Joshua are the same names. Yeshua, Yeshua, Joshua is the Old Testament name. Jesus is the New Testament name. And so his name, Jesus, which means Savior. And then she sa he says, he will be great. He'll be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom. There'll be no end. He's going to be great. He's going to be the Son of God. Three different things. He'll take the throne of his father David. He'll reign over the house of Jacob, which is Israel, and of his kingdom. There will be no end. She understands that this angel is telling her, you're going to have the Messiah, Savior, King of the world, the one promised to King David that he would have a son who would rule forever as the Messiah. And she understands that she's going to have that baby who will be the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Well, naturally, she makes a statement. It's not that she's doubting. She just raises this question. I, I don't, how is this going to happen since I'm a virgin? Verse 34, Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I'm a virgin? Now, she's not doubting. She's just saying, I don't understand exactly how it's going to happen. And look what happens. The angel answered and said to her, this is verse 35, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child we called the Son of God. The Holy Spirit's going to come upon you and you're going to have that child. What is her response to all of this? She's going to have a son. He is the son of God. He is the Messiah. What is her response? She believed the message. Look at verse 38. And Mary said, <coughs> Behold the bond slave of the Lord. May it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. <coughs> she believed the message. That's her response. She believed the message. We got one more. Oh, by the way, we have to see this next part. There's a cost involved. You ever thought about the cost? You thought, boy, was she lucky. Was she lucky? Out of all the women that's ever existed, she gets to bring the Messiah into the world? Well, we'd say, well, that was fantastic, but there is a cost involved. I want you to think about it. First of all, she had to face her husband. You understand what happened? 
that the angel comes and talks to her. And after that, she goes right to her husband and says, I'm going to go visit my relative, Elizabeth, who's going to have a baby. I'm leaving. So she leaves Nazareth, northern part of Israel, and goes all the way down to the southern part of Israel where Zechariah and Elizabeth live. And by this time, Elizabeth, Elizabeth is at least six months pregnant. She comes down there. She stays with Elizabeth for three months and then comes back. So when she comes back, Mary is three months pregnant. And she comes back to Joseph, and he goes, uh, what exactly is going on here? You left. You disappeared for three months. You said you were with your cousin Elizabeth, and now you're back, and you're pregnant. And she said, yeah, you got, yeah, you're not going to believe this, but an ain't the Holy Spirit came upon me. And this is from an angel, and he told me that this baby is the Son of God, the King of Israel, the descendant of David, and so we're going to have the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And he went, right. You really expect me to believe that? You disappeared for three months. I've loved you for, I mean, we're engaged. I mean, you know, I just, I don't know what to do. There's that cost. There's a second cost. There's the stigma. Do you think other people saw this? Do you think people knew this? Do you think people knew that she was pregnant and she wasn't married to Joseph? Now, let me tell you, there was a betrothal. The betrothal had already happened. In the Jewish culture, a betrothal is good as a marriage. If you wanted to break the betrothal, you had to get a divorce. But you never could live together. You could not live together until you actually went through the ceremony and were married. So even though they're betrothed, if he was going to break, or if either one of them would break the betrothal, they would have to get a divorce. But... There are people out there saying, now listen, she's, she's pregnant, you know, and they're not, they're not together. What kind of woman is this? That's the cost. Well, let's see what happened with Joseph. I want you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 1. Just flip over there real quickly. We're almost through. Matthew chapter 1, we'll start at verse 18. Because Matthew tells us Joseph's side of the story. Matthew, 18, uh, Matthew 1, verse 18. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, I mean, they're not married yet. They, they're betrothed. They good as married in the sense they had to divorce to get out of it. But they don't live together. They don't have sexual relations together. They're not together. They haven't had the ceremony yet. Before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man, he's a believer, and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away privately. Listen, when he found out she was pregnant, it was the biggest shock and the biggest disappointment of his life. And he said, I cannot believe this. After all we've been through and we're going to be married and you go off and do this. And he loved her so much. <clears throat> and he's a righteous man. And he did not want to publicly humiliate her. Because let me tell you what he could do. He could bring her before the Sanhedrin and say, I'm betrothed to this woman. She's had sexual relations outside. She's pregnant with a child. And they could stone her and kill her. They could, under the Mosaic law. Or he could put her away privately. He could just have the divorce papers, things drawn up, and it's over with. And that's what he decides to do because he loves her. He just says, I'm a righteous man. I'm just going to put her away secretly. That's the plan. But look what happens. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not 
be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. So this angel comes. Here's this message. This angel comes in a dream and says, don't be afraid to do this. And then he gives him information. Look at verse 21. She's going to bear this son. You're going to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Because the name Jesus means Savior. Yeshua, Savior. And then he says, not only that, that it's going to fulfill prophecy. Notice, this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. This is Isaiah 7, 14. Behold, the virgin will be with a child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. He says, listen, Joseph, in this dream, Joseph is dreaming, and he says, listen, don't be afraid to take her because she's, that, is, that baby's from the Holy Spirit, and he's going to be the Savior of the world, and this fulfills the prophecy of Isaiah that a virgin would bring forth the Messiah. That's the message. What's the response? He believed the message. Look what he did. It says, And Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, took Mary as his wife, but he kept her a virgin until he gave birth to a son and called his name Jesus. He believed the message. Now, there's a cost. You want to see what it is? First of all, he did not know his wife sexually until the birth of Jesus. He kept her a virgin until he gave birth to a son and called his name Jesus. Second. He faced the stigma. He faced the stigma. Did you know that when Jesus was 30 years old and the Pharisees were coming after him, you know one of the accusations against him? They said, at least we weren't born in sin. 30 years after, they still remembered Then they said that Jesus was born in sin because his mother and daddy had sex before they were married. He had that stigma that he was the father of Jesus, of Mary, and everything wasn't exactly right there. That's what they said. And lastly, he had to protect the child. You remember when the message came and they said, you better get out. Angel came to him in a dream. By the way, every time an angel came to Joseph, came to him in a dream. And if you look in the scripture, Joseph never says a word. Never has a statement of Joseph in the scripture. And every time God comes to him, he comes to him in a dream. And every time he does exactly what God tells him to do. So what have we seen? We've seen Joseph got the message that his son is the Messiah. His response is he believed. And the cost was the stigma and the protection of his son Jesus. So what have we seen? We've seen four people, two couples. They receive messages from God. Older couple, younger couple. Older couple, Zacharias and Elizabeth. They're going to have a boy, a son named John, who will go before the Messiah as the forerunner. Mary and Joseph, they're going to have a son. He's the Messiah. They believed it, but there's a cost involved with the stigma and the protection. Next time, we're going to look at the birth of Christ, and then we're going to look at four after the birth of Christ and see how that fits together. So let's make some applications. First of all, we have a message from God given to us. It's the message concerning the Messiah. In John 1, 14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We know that at a point in time in history, Jesus Christ left the glories of heaven and came to this earth. He is the Son of God, born to die. He is the Messiah and the Savior. We have a message that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. We have a message that at Christmas time, we are celebrating the birth of the Messiah and the Savior. Second, 
We are to believe this message. Just like Mary and Joseph and Zechariah and Elizabeth got a message, they believed the message. We're to believe the message. We're to believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the one who died on the cross to pay for sin and rose again and that he gives you eternal life? Do you understand that the baby born in Bethlehem that we're celebrating at this time of the year is the Messiah, the Savior, the King, the one who would save his people from their sins? If you put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior. We are to tell others. That's what we're supposed to do. You know, you turn on the TV and all the Christmas shows, none of them mention Jesus. They're all Christmas shows. They're all talking about, oh, Christmas time is the time in which we love one another. It's true. Christmas time is we remember how thankful we are. Thankful for what? The truth is, what is Christmas all about? It's about remembering that God so loved the world that he gave his son Jesus, and Jesus was born in this world to be the savior of the world. And what we're talking about Christmas is not necessarily presents and not necessarily how sweet everything is. We're talking about that God sent a savior in the world, and whoever believes in him will never perish but have everlasting life. That's our message. So we leave the message and we tell others. And finally, the third thing, we need to realize there is a cost in obeying God. It is. For all of us who know Jesus Christ as Savior, we're not to live for ourselves. We're to live for Christ. What it's all about, Romans 12, all for our lives. There's a cost. Those of us who belong to Jesus Christ because we've taken the gift of eternal life, there's a cost involved in living for him. And there's a second aspect, and that is we'll be hated by the world. Jesus said, if they hated me, they'll hate you. When you stand up publicly and you begin to declare to people that you believe that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, there's no other name given under heaven whereby we might be saved, that the baby born in Bethlehem is the Son of God, and that salvation is a gift by faith alone in him, you will be attacked by this world. So just be ready for it. There's a cost involved when you stand for Jesus Christ because we go contrary to the fallen world. Wow. So at this time of the year, we think about this message, the baby born in Bethlehem, the Son of God, the Savior, the King. May we believe that message, and may we tell others about it.